we get tripped up over and over again because after all, it's just a flat white, right? Yeah? Not really. But we get tripped up over and over again because the right thing often gets brought to us in the wrong way. And I would actually dare say that if it is the right thing that is brought to us and if it is the Lord who is bringing us the right thing, yet it comes in a way that we did not anticipate, we did not expect and get this in a way that we do not appreciate, maybe because God's brought it in this way, it actually has come the right way because God's brought it. You know what I'm saying? But I think that I found in my life, in the life of so many people, that so often we get tripped up because the right thing gets brought to us the wrong way. Well, Kalamunda Church, welcome to 2020. This is going to be your paradigm for this year. And don't worry, you're not alone because it's my paradigm as well. I think that what we're looking at is a great summary of um, the first part and in fact what's happening in the life of Jesus. And as we unpack it, we're going to be able to appreciate why there is so much dynamic, so much diverse responses that come to Jesus. There are people who are literally enthralled and just love Jesus and there are actually people who want to kill him and conspire against him and complaining against him and there are people who actually get him put on a cross. There is such a diversity of responses and Jesus is actually letting us know in this short story and in this short little parable why this is happening and the reasoning why this stuff is coming about. That's a great summary. Verse 18 says this, once, John's, uh, once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? It's interesting to know that the Pharisees were fasting. They're fasting for a reason. I mean, do you fast for no reason at all? That seems absurd, doesn't it? You know, why in the world would you fast? There has to be a reason why you're fasting. The Pharisees, in fact, everyone in Israel, and if you've been on the journey with us, you should know this front and center by now. Everyone in Israel knew that something was not right. There's an issue. Something's up. These are supposed to be God's people, and yet something's not right. I mean, why else would they still be in this despised situation under Roman rule? In a situation where God has not returned to his temple, in a place where they have not returned from exile, in this place where the other nations are not being blessed through them, in a situation where God has been silent for over 400 years, everyone knows something is not right at the moment. So they're fasting. They're fasting for God to return. That's why they're fasting. Because you don't fast for no reason. And the text lets us know that one day when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. They were fasting. And then they asked this question. Why aren't your disciples fasting for God to return? That's interesting, isn't it? Ironic, really. I mean, think about it. Think about it. Think about it. So it's not just the Pharisees, it's also John the Baptist's disciples are fasting too. So there's lots of people who are fasting. The reason why they're fasting is because some, they know something's not right. So they are fasting for God to return. And then they turn to Jesus' disciples and they turn to them and say to Jesus, why aren't your disciples fasting for the return of God? They are fasting for the very thing that is now happening in front of their eyes. Bit of irony, isn't it? Do you understand that? 
they're fasting for the very thing they are actually conspiring against. <laughs> it's crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. Do you see what's happening here? I mean, I think it's a little bit like, um, do you remember on Resurrection Sunday and there's these two disciples on the road to Emmaus? Um, Cleopas and Cleopas' partner. We don't know who the partner is. Could have been his wife. And they're on the road to Emmaus and it actually reads from Luke 24, verse 17 to 19. And Jesus comes up and he asks them, he says, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stop short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard all about the things that have happened in the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. Imagine that. Jesus comes to these guys, to Cleopas and Cleopas' partner, and he's saying, what's going on? And then Cleopas turns around to Jesus and says, are you the only person who has no idea what's been happening? Cleopas says to Jesus, who actually is the only person who actually knows exactly what has just happened in Jerusalem. It's a little bit of irony. And the same kind of thing is happening with the Pharisees and John the Baptist's disciples. Why aren't your disciples fasting like the rest of us? Your disciples should be fasting for the return of God in the saying that is to the face of Jesus, who is God. Bit of irony, right? Jesus replied, Jesus replied from verse 19. Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. From Jesus' own lips, in Mark chapter 2, he calls himself the groom. Now, this is going to be very helpful for when you have certain people who come and knock on your door and they have little black badges and they have their ties and they have, you know, have you ever met people like that? Yeah, this is going to be very helpful, you know. Um, it's going to be very, very, very helpful when they come. Like, like who did Jesus... And they respond to you and say, you know, Jesus didn't think himself this. Well, actually, from Jesus' own lips, he calls himself the groom. Now, there is only one person, only one person in all of Israel's scriptures who calls himself the bridegroom, and that person is Yahweh. All right? Isaiah 62 verse 4, just a couple, I mean it's throughout scripture, but here's just a couple. Isaiah 62 verse 4, never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God. For the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. Hosea 2 verse 19 and 20, I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I'll be faithful to you and make you mine and you will finally know me as the Lord. Disciples of John the Baptist, the Pharisees, are waiting for, they're praying for, they are fasting for Yahweh to return. And from Jesus' own lips, he says, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. He's actually saying something really profound right now. You're picking up the story, aren't you, as I'm unpacking it. What's interesting to me is actually one thing that might have caught them off guard and certainly did catch them off guard and something that's very pertinent to the Church of Jesus Christ here in 2020 
is Jesus is talking about a wedding banquet and Mark actually tells us the kind of people who are invited to the wedding banquet in the story that immediately precedes this. So the people who are actually invited to the wedding feast, we actually read from verse 13, just listen to it into your ears, it'll be very familiar to you. Uh, These are the sort of people who are invited. It says, Then Jesus went to the lakeshore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other, get this, and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, like, you guys look great. But I look at a crowd like today, and you guys do not look like disreputable sinners. Yet, Scripture says that there are many of this kind who follow Jesus. And my, my question to the church, not just this church, not just New Spring Church, my question to the church today is if this group of people were following Jesus absolutely everywhere, why in the world are these group of people no longer following the church today? We need to go and get those people, amen? Now you can say amen or ouch, but that's Holy Scripture. You know what I'm saying? Our job is not to be this nice little holy huddle. We're supposed to follow on in the mission of Jesus Christ. And the scripture says that these kind of people are the disreputable sinners. Wow. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. That would make sense to me that we should be seeing all sorts of people walking into the doors of all churches all the time. Right? Would we like to be that kind of church? Would we, be, would we seriously like to be the kind of church that's following Jesus? Well, if we're going to be the church that follows Jesus, guess what? This is going to happen. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Scripture is so challenging and confronting. Verse 16, But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with such scum? Whoa! When Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call those, uh, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. What I find is really, um, really sobering and very, very human, very, very human, is that the Pharisees, understand this, the Pharisees are fasting for the right thing. You need to get that. They're fasting for the right thing. The disciples of John the Baptist are fasting for the right thing. Sometimes we put the Pharisees in this category and say, you know what, they're evil, bad people. No, they, in their heart, they genuinely believed they were doing the right thing and they wanted God to come. Their heart was that Yahweh would come and they are praying for and they are fasting for the right thing. It just came in the wrong way and they got tripped up. So many times in my life, this year included, I'm praying for and I'm believing for and I'm asking for and I believe God's spoken to me. I'm believing and I'm praying and I'm fasting for the right thing and then God brings something. I say, no God, that's actually the wrong thing and he says, take another look. It's the right thing but it came in the wrong way lets me know that these Pharisees, they're human, just like you 
and just like me. They didn't understand that God certainly has come, but he had not come in the way they expected or appreciated or wanted. Now after this, Jesus, I think out of a great compassion actually, he gives a parable. It's the very first time in the Gospel of Mark he, he gives a parable. And the reason why he gives a parable is to try to explain why it is happening like this. Because I reckon it would be kind of mean if God says, you know what, I'm doing it this way, and it just like it takes everyone off guard, that people can't appreciate it, people get sideswiped. But Jesus, he actually gives some teaching in a parable to let them know this is the reason why it has to come this way. Yes, you are believing for the right thing. You're getting tripped up because the right thing's coming the wrong way, but you need to understand and recognize why it's coming this way. So he gives this parable. Verse 21 says, Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. I mean, it sounds absurd, right? I mean, who in the world would possibly patch old clothing onto new cloth? I mean, who'd do that? We would. <laughs> the Pharisees would. You would. I would. This is why Jesus is saying this. Who would, it seems absurd, why would you put old cloth onto new cloth? Who would do such a thing like that? Well, if you are a human being, guess what? You would. That's what we do. That's what the Pharisees did. And that's why they couldn't recognize the arrival of the very thing they're waiting for and they are fasting for. We do it. And verse 22, he goes even further. And understand this, pay attention to this one. This is very, very important for us to know. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. And you have to think to yourself, oh, so that's the reason why God has to do it this way. So what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is that if I did this new thing in an old way, it would hurt you. And out of Jesus' compassion and out of God's love, he lets us know that when he is about to pour out something new, it has to be done a new way, lest you be busted up and broken and torn up. Now you may not agree with me, but that's true. We all love the idea of new wine, but there is a dilemma with new wine. Because when new wine is being poured, it presupposes that there are new wineskins that have been built. Is anyone picking up where Cullamunda Church is at at the moment? I'll be honest. Cullamunda Church of Christ, you are not at the place of new wine as yet. You are at the place of constructing new wineskins. That's where you're at. Now you cannot pour out new wine and build new wineskins at the same time, can you? 
you have to first build new wineskins so that you can pour out new wine. Okay? It's good. I like this. It's good. I think it's great how Jesus lets us know that. That's the reason why it has to be this way. I've had a very interesting year this year. And um, it's been, um, I felt like last year I was, um, I turned 40 last year. And it was very confronting. And I have guys like Brian, and Brian like sort of says to me, oh, you're still a young guy and all that. I don't feel young, Brian. <laughs> um, and I understand I'm young and I've got, a lot to, I've got a lot to learn. In fact, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. The more I study, do you know the funny thing about studying scripture? The more I study scripture, the more I realize I don't know. And the more I study scripture, the harder it is to actually put messages together that are actually integrous and in line with this. Um, like it's, it's amazing. But I felt God say to me, like, 40 is a really significant year for you, Dave. And there's going to be certain things that are going to open up. And, um, and so I turned 40, end of last year. And stepping into this year and all of a sudden there's all these things that is kind of like happening in my life um, not just in Kalamunda but kind of all over the place all I'm finding myself sitting with with, with certain people and I'm thinking what is going on here um, I actually said to I actually said to Andrew my wife who I would hope one day you'll meet um, I said babe like what is like, like like what is going on with what is God doing with our life right now because none of this, like, we're not trying to open up any doors or push anything, anything, but it seems that like God is just backing us up into places where he's asking us to serve and pour. What's going on? But I remember the very first week I started here at Kalamunda. And um, for myself, it felt like, I might have mentioned before, it felt like um, it was like I went from playing waffle to AFL in one, like, it was like in one week, it went, whoa. Um, it was like, whoa, this is hard. Um, and like, whoa, it's, it's, it's a pace. Or bang. And it was in that first week that God spoke to me a verse which he said, I want you to keep in mind this verse for 2020. And it's a verse that pertains to New Spring Church. And as of this Sunday, it is a verse that pertains to Kalamunda Church as well. Okay. And understand, I'm speaking this message in light of the last couple of weeks of what has been happening and, and some of the anxieties that people are having. All right? So I'm doing my job in actually shepherding you in this season right now. But God spoke this verse to me. It's from Psalm 103, verse 7. And it says this, He revealed His character to Moses and His deeds to the people of Israel. You're probably going to hear that a lot this year um, with me being around. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. You see, the people saw his deeds, or other translations say his acts, but Moses knew his character. It's important to understand that distinction and it provides us a great opportunity as to making a decision on which side of the ledger you and I want to stand. Because one thing I know about my beautiful Jesus, one thing I know about my God is that God's character does not change, but his deeds do. His acts do. 
And I can stand on the side of the people who only see the deeds of God, the acts of God, and do not necessarily know the character of God. And if I do not know the character of God, I'm going to get sideswiped when his acts start to change. But if I am on the other side of the ledger, where my heart is is soft before God, and there is intimacy between myself and the Spirit, I know his character, and I know his character doesn't change. I know his faithfulness doesn't change. I know his goodness doesn't change. And there are certain points where I actually see that his hand moves in different ways and his deeds look different and his acts look different. I'm not going to be sideswiped because I know his character remains the same. You understand what I'm saying? It is absolutely undeniable in Calamunda Church of Christ that in 2020, the deeds of the Lord the acts of God have drastically changed. You had a bald, white pastor with glasses up here, and all of a sudden it's like transformed. You've got a chocolate-colored bald pastor who's more chubby. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's obvious. It's obvious. But when God wants to do something new, He starts by building new wineskins. We had the same journey in our church and um, it's for that reason I have a lot. I, I can't tell you how much compassion I have because I know that for a lot of people it's not an easy journey. Um, Andrew and I, we've been like the pastors there for like eight years, you know. Um, I had hair when we started, you know. I'm going grey and I've lost it all now. But like, like, like we, we just have like genuine deep compassion because we know that the journey forward that the Lord is taking Kalamunda Church of Christ is that he is now birthing something brand new. And he wants to pour new wine. But in order for that process to happen, There has to be that trust in God's character and trust in God's faithfulness that he actually knows what he's doing as he is starting to mold and shape wineskins that look distinctly different to what they once did. And it is for that reason that we as the community of faith, we must love each other, we must extend grace to each other, We must acknowledge when people are struggling and not point our finger, but actually come alongside and put our arm around and say, you know what, this is hard, this is tough, but if you just like, we can get through this and understand that it is the Lord who is doing it. Does that make sense? I have great compassion because we've been through the journey that you are now about to embark on. All right? So it's not, none of this is new to me, but it's new to you. But there has got to be a sense that God is doing something new. And I felt coming to um, today, and it's a shame it's a long weekend, but we do have podcasts, so it's going to be important for people to listen. But I felt as we were coming to this weekend, But this is a weekend where we can decide as a church that we are going to be united. 
that we're going to stand together as family in love. And I dare say, I dare say, that for some people in the life of our church, it's going to require that we may need to go up to certain individuals or certain people and put an arm around them and maybe even apologize and say, I'm sorry, I've spoken against you, that was wrong. I didn't think the best of you, that is wrong. Would you accept my apology? And then forgiveness will flow. And you know after that, healing will flow. Healing will flow. And as we step from that place, we'll be united as a church. And we will see what God could possibly, I mean, what could God possibly do in a church up in the hills? I wonder what he could do. Could you imagine what he could do? Could you imagine? You live in the hills. You've got all this spiritual activity. You've got all these Goliaths who are prancing around thinking that they're king of the hill until one church of Jesus Christ stands up and takes their place in the authority which the Lord has already given you. And as you stand, two weeks ago we talked about authority, and as you stand by your very presence, the kingdom of God starts to break out. And demons who have been terrorizing people had the cards turned on them and they are now being tormented and terrorized. And the body of Christ is released out of the walls of this building where they are truly the church out there. You're not truly the church here. You don't need a Holy Spirit here. You need a Holy Spirit out there. I've got enough Holy Spirit for you here. I'm serious. You may think I'm arrogant. I'm not. You could pick that up. I know. I know who I am. I know what I've got. A place can be dead and I can actually bring life. I know that's what I've got. But it's when you leave those doors, you see. That's when you're dangerous. Jesus said, go lay hands on the sick. They'll recover. He didn't say pray for the sick. He said heal the sick. Difference. I'm going to pray for you. He didn't say pray. He said heal the sick. Pour out generosity. See a community that's been devastated. See them begin to flourish. We live in a world and a culture that is so determined to set people on the course where they are in a process of dehumanization. Yet following Jesus is a reversal of that, where people become more truly human. And we get to partner with God in establishing His covenantal rule here on earth as it is in heaven. But in order for that to happen, it requires a church who have confidence in their God and have confidence in His ways to say it is uncomfortable and to be honest God, I do not like it. But if you're going to pour out some new wine in this place, I'm going to let you pour some new wine in this place. And if you will let us, I'm just here to see you. To be honest, I'm in that unique position where I don't need a job for you.
Now we're going to respond to God's word.